welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Well, we've been looking at this letter and working our way through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And we've come to chapter 4, beginning this second half of the letter, where Paul admonishes us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called as believers in Christ. And the last time we saw that this worthy walk is a walk in the attributes of Christ's likeness. He says uh, in verse 2 and 3, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so Paul begins with this emphasis on the unity that we have in Christ. And this unity, he says, is something that, <clears throat> that we need to be eager to maintain. In other words, we're, we're to be committed to protecting and promoting uh, this that we have that's given to us because it is a unity that um, is created by God. And so it is, uh, it is vital for us to see it in that light. It's not just something that we generate or that we create. Uh, after the, <clears throat> the tea this morning, uh, we're planning a, a membership information meetings for, for those that are able to uh, and interested and able to, to stay for that. And uh, one of the things that I'll, <clears throat> I'll be talking about is the importance of membership. And, and part of the reason for a church membership is uh, to really, because membership says, I'm committed. I'm uh, committing myself to the body. I'm not just kind of uh, hanging on to the fringes, but I'm, <clears throat> I, I want to be part of what's, uh, what the Lord's doing in this church. And <clears throat> so the local church then, <clears throat> to, to become a member of a local church is really to make up your mind, or it should be to make up your mind, to give priority to your brothers and sisters in Christ even before yourself. That's, that's what Scripture teaches us to do. Um, this means that you're committing to one another to be quick to protect the unity of the body. Uh, in other words, instead of, instead of being one to divide or gossip or provoke, uh, you're, the, you're one that's eager to move every situation to a uh, unifying resolution. And so that's the... That's what we talk about as, as a commitment. We're, we're talking about this uh, mindset of one another as, as a, a body that uh, we pray for and that we love. Well, this morning we're looking at the basis of our unity. And as we noted before, this uh, second half of the letter that, that we have here from Paul is primary practical. And the first half, the first three chapters that we worked through was, uh, was really doctrine, uh, who we are in Christ, what he's done for us, what he's planned. But these two always go together. The, the practice always flows out of our doctrine, what we believe. 
And so you'll notice that as Paul begins this admonition here in the first couple of verses uh, with the practical admonition to walk in a manner worthy, he goes right back to doctrine. And as we'll see, he begins in verse 4 with this emphasis now upon the basis of our unity. Notice in uh, verse, beginning in verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so that's the basis of our unity that we have. You know, it's common for people to think uh, that the the unity of the church is something that uh, we can create or organize. If we, you know, just all get together, we can we can create this unity that the Bible talks about. It's you see it in in the efforts of the ecumenical movement, where various faiths all get together for, around some cause to to try to. Uh, accomplish something and the basis of their unity is very usually very limited it's like a a generic in nature like faith faith in God we we can we can work together on that basis with you know with with Hindus and with with the Catholic Church and the even Muslims we you know this big umbrella of faith in God or maybe we could unite around the love of God Everybody believes that, right? And so this, the, the depth of the, the foundation of the unity is usually very, very limited. Uh, even evangelicals can uh, unite together with, for some cause, and oftentimes that basis is, is very limited. Even willing to ignore uh, basic doctrinal truth like the exclusivity of the nature of salvation. Um, in other words, that, that salvation is, is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. That's not really a, something they're going to want to talk about too much, uh, many times, unfortunately. And, and so <clears throat> uh, that's not what Paul is talking about. I just want you to, to realize that he's talking about the unity that God has created. The Father planned it, the Son paid for it, and the Spirit of God has applied it to those of us who are believers. And we have that in Him, and so we are to work that out. We are to live that out and focus, not so much concerned about focusing on our unity, but focusing on Him. When we turn our eyes to Him and we, and we rally around Him, then we are united together uh, when we are uh, putting our, our focus on Him. Well, if you remember in John 17, the high priestly prayer of the Lord, let me just jump into the middle of that prayer in verse, from verse 19. Because it really speaks to this matter of the, of unity that uh, Paul's talking about. This is Christ's prayer for us. He says, 
And for their sake, I consecrate myself. In other words, he set himself aside or, or dedicated or consecrated himself to go to the cross. What he's talking about in the context. <clears throat> he says that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, and I, uh, sorry, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. You see, this is the, the inherent unity that we have in Christ. It's, it's like the unity that exists within the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triunity of God. He, he'll continue on uh, there in, uh, from verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you that you have sent me. I make known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And so you can see his emphasis here on this unity is something that is in God and that he has made us part of. And often you'll see Paul using this terminology to be in Christ. And he's talking about this, this unity that we have with Christ because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. He's, he's forgiven us and he's saved us and he's brought us into a, a family relationship with him. Well, this is what God has accomplished for us his children, what you are in Christ, you are also in the Father and in the Spirit. And so we, we see Paul taking that emphasis here in these verses. verses back in verse, uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 to 6, we see this emphasis on the, 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 the three persons of the Godhead. In, in verse 4, the Spirit... And in verse 5, the Son, and verse 6, the Father. And in all in these verses that he gives us here, we see this repetition of the word one again and again. Seven times in these uh, three verses, he repeats this emphasis on one. And it, and it really points to the, the solidarity that we have in the body of Christ. And so this morning, we're, we're going to look at this first part, the in verse 4, on that which the Spirit of God uh, accomplishes. And he, he begins with the body. He says, we are one body, 
Ephesians 4, verse 4, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Well, the body is one of Paul's favorite metaphors to uh, talk about the church. And he, uh, no doubt, one of, the, one of the reasons is because like the physical body, the, the spiritual body, the church has different parts and all these different parts all, all are one, just as our physical body is one, but has all the different parts. And we, we read, Joshua read from that passage in 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul spends quite a bit of time, quite a lengthy section there, pointing out this unity that we have and how it's compared to the body. Because, you know, as you think about the church, there's a, there's a great diversity within the church. When, when John saw the vision of heaven, he sees people from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you can even think of our own situation right here in South Africa, all the different uh, groups and diversity of people uh, that we have. And the churches should reflect that diversity uh, as much as possible. But you know that... This diversity is also a challenge as you think about it. You just think about the, the single problem of language uh, barriers that we have and understanding and the difference of thinking and the ways of doing things, even, even among uh, us as you know, the European population. We're, we may look, a lot, look like on the outside, but on the inside, we're different, aren't we? Uh, we think differently. Uh, think about the different economic and social backgrounds and the political opinions and, and even the different uh, doctrinal uh, ideas and opinions that we may have. And so it, it becomes difficult to maintain unity. But one thing we need to, to remember is that unity is not the same as uniformity. Uh, God's not saying that we are to all be carbon copies or clones of one another and all think uh, exactly the same way. But there are certain things that we should be united around. Essential uh, doctrines from God's Word, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, uh, the way of salvation that uh, God has given us, very specifically repentance and faith and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. Those things that we we can't waver on. We can't say, well, let's just don't focus on that so that we can all, you know, be unified. No, we are unified around Him and around the truth that He's given us, the inspiration, authority of Scripture. Those, these are all things that uh, we can't waver on or be, um, be uh, putting to one side or ignoring. But... Uh, the fact that we're different, although creates difficulty, is actually a good thing. And God has designed the church to be that way, to be different. He, he intentionally brought the Jews and the Gentiles together, uh, two groups that were as far apart as they could be in, in everything. Their, their thinking, their hatred they had for each other, animosity, and all the things that could separate two groups of people. They were, uh, they were good examples, and God 
put them on display uh, as two that he brought together for his honor and for his glory. And so we see this diversity that he brings together to be one. Uh, we, we spoke of 1 Corinthians 12, but also in Romans 12, you can remember those two that way. They're both chapter 12. Uh, deal with gifts to the church, and he uses this analogy of the body to illustrate this importance that uh, although there's different parts, they all work together. Uh, also in, notice in Romans 12 from verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. And we spoke briefly about the 1 Corinthians 12 passage. Paul is writing to a church there that he says had been blessed by God, that they, had, uh, they were not lacking in any spiritual gifts, and yet this church had misused those gifts. They had problems of division and, and really a, a self-centeredness, uh, attitude of competition that had crept into the, the church. And so really in chapters 12, 13, and 14, Paul is dealing with this misuse of spiritual gifts. But in chapter 12, we see again this uh, emphasis that he places on the unity that God designed, and it's like a body. He uses that analogy there, and how that, uh, that we're all to function together as part of this, this whole uh, that God had planned. And, and so he deals with the, their discontent and jealousy of each other. And in verse 15, he's, he, this is where he says, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And he also speaks of their sense of self-importance and the sinful attitude that some people are are not as important as other people are. And that's just that's just the sinful flesh that you see everywhere. It's here in South Africa. It's in all over any country you can name, anywhere people live together. You see this this natural sinfulness this pride, this self-importance, those are things that just we're born with as part of the sin, sinful nature. And uh, so Paul is dealing with that, and he's focusing on that. He says in verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Well, that's, you know, we think about how silly that would be if our body members could talk and, and say, say, I don't need you today. You're not as important. No, the church is the same way. We, we need each other. And so Paul, Paul emphasizes this point, and he spends a lot of time that seems obvious, yet he keeps talking about it because it, it uh, was a problem, and it's a problem for anywhere people come together. It's a problem in any church where, where we, uh, because of our, our flesh, 
naturally focus on what I want, what I want more than, you know, should have or should be or should do or should get, instead of focusing on what someone else needs, what God would want for them. And so, as you think about your part in the body, you, you may feel like you don't have a very big part or that your part's not very important. And yet, it is important. It's important to God. And that's really the part that matters, isn't it? Is, is what God thinks. We naturally tend to think what others think or how others see us, which is not all bad, but our focus has to be on what does God think? What does He what does he think and what, what's important to him? What's his perspective? Uh, there's also the problem sometimes of overestimating our importance. And uh, we're reminded in this passage also that God has appointed and equipped everyone according to his purpose and according to his grace. And so there's one body. And if you have new life in Christ, you're part of that one body. And um, the problem is there's, there's some people, especially as we look around the Christian community here in South Africa, we realize there's many people that, that call themselves Christian, and yet it's very doubtful if they are in this one body. This, this body of Christ is a very exclusive group. It's, it's very exclusive. And the world doesn't like to hear of anything being exclusive. They want everything to be inclusive. In other words, everybody's in. And regardless of which way you think or, or how you think, then God, eventually you'll, you'll be in. Eventually you'll get to heaven. But that's not the message of the Scripture, is it? God says there is one body. Just as there's one head, the Lord Jesus Christ, there's only one body of believers that have a connection, this vital connection to the head through faith in what He has done for us. And then Paul says that there is one Spirit. And it is by the the working of the Spirit of God that we're in this one body. He is the one who gives life to the body. And it is by His powerful working that we are birthed into this body. and, And through Him we're energized and enabled to function as the body of Christ. And so just as the physical body without the, our spirit is dead, so also is, the, is the, uh, the church without the spirit dead. We, we, do, we have no function without, without Him, apart from Him, His life-giving presence. As you... Remember back to Ephesians chapter 2, at the end of that chapter, he compares the church to a temple that is being built up. It's another one of the metaphors that he uses. And in verse 22, he says, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. And we know that it was, we look back and remember we studied also in chapter 1 that the Spirit of God indwells uh, the individual believer, makes up his abode in us. Uh, he dwells within us. But equally true is that he collectively dwells in us as the church. And uh, 
And in that verse there, he's talking about the church and comparing it to a temple where his dwelling is. And in 1 Corinthians, he says it this way, in verse um, 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. And he's, he's talking about not, not, not specifically the water baptism. Water baptism pictures this. But he's talking about being put, placed into, into God, into this body, uh, the body of Christ. And, and so by the power of the Spirit, we're, we are placed in this body. We're brought together into this one body. And he wants to emphasize this oneness that we have in him. And he keeps repeating this as you go to different places in Scripture. You see this repetition of the Spirit's working uh, in us and in his power in us. And it should remind us that whenever we do or say something that, uh, that disrupts the unity, we are really working against the Spirit of God because He's working to, um, to draw us um, to Christ and to this unity that we have in Christ and that we might have this testimony before the world that, he, that Christ repeated twice there in that passage in John 17 that we read. And so we, we must be very careful. He, he warns, Paul does, the, the Corinthians church uh, in chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. And, and in, that, uh, in those couple of verses, he, he uses the word you. And in English, we don't see it, but it's plural. It's, uh, if we were in the South, we could say you all. <laughs> it's uh, the collective you that he's talking about. It's not, not the individuals, but the, uh, the, the believers together talking about. Notice what he says. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. And so there again, in that context, he's warning those that would uh, disrupt the body, the local church, and teach false teaching or to, uh, the, and he's also in that bigger context dealing with the, the divisions that, that was there, following after this person and following after that person. And, and so Paul is warning them that this is something that God has created and God protects that which is his. Well, if we go back to Ephesians, you remember back in chapter 1, we saw there that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, he says, to the praise of His glory. That's Ephesians 1 verse 14. And so the, the Spirit of God guarantees our eternal hope. It's hope that we have in Christ. He prays a little bit later in verse 18 that we would, eyes would be open, he said, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what you what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So he talks about this, this hope that we have and, and how that the, the Spirit of God guarantees it. And so Paul uh, makes this point, and it, and it should cause us to appreciate the unity that we have in the body of Christ. And that's the, the last thing that he says in this verse is the, he's talking about this one hope that we have. He says there in verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. Earlier we had looked at that uh, passage in John 17. I want to go back there just to this uh, verse uh, 24, where Jesus prayed, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. You see, our hope that we have is not an uncertain kind of hope. Like we often use the word hope. I mean, we, we say things like, um, well, I, I hope this uh, COVID virus thing will be over soon. <laughs> well, that's, that's a wishful kind of hope, isn't it? We, we don't know if it's going to be over soon. We don't know when it's going to be over. Um, and so many times our hope is, uh, is very uncertain. But the hope that's ours in Christ is as certain as his word is. Because it's his promise that we placed our hope in. And although we can't see it by faith, we are able to take hold of it and be confident in it. Uh, you remember in in chapter, chapter 2, that Paul had reminded these believers that before they came to faith in Christ, they had no hope uh, being without God in the world. But in verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so God has given us all this same hope. There, there's not a hope for you know, that group over there and a hope for that group over there and and we have a different hope. No, we have one, one hope, one confidence in that which God has planned for us. And he, and he says that the Holy Spirit's presence within us, it, it reassures us, it gives us confidence concerning that hope and enables us to live in its joy and peace. Notice the, the benediction of Paul gave at the end of uh, chapter uh, well, in fifteen, chapter fifteen, verse thirteen. He says, "Now uh, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope." See, regardless of how difficult life becomes, regardless of how hopeless life becomes around us and our circumstance. We have this steadfast hope in the Lord and what he has promised for us and that he's coming back as he said he would. And he's going to take us to be with him as he said he would. That, that is a hope that is unshakable. And we share that hope together. And the fact that we have this same hope should motivate us to maintain the unity that we have together. 
Uh, one of the ways that the, the Spirit of God empowers us in this way is through the body life of the church. Life together should um, encourage us. And that's what the, the writer to the book of Hebrews says in verse in chapter 10, verse 23 to 25. He says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. And, and there was a problem, as you know that book, there was a problem with some that were doubting and being tempted to turn back to Judaism. And uh, he says, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Uh, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day dawning. The day dawning is the day when the Lord comes back. The day when we're we're going to be with Him. Well, let me close with... um, a little story from um, is told of D.L. Moody. Most of you probably heard of him. He's a well-known pastor in Chicago for many years, and he the story is told that he was visiting a believer that had uh, had stopped attending church, and um, when he asked the man about it, he went to his home and visited him, and uh, they were sitting there by the fireplace, and, and the man said, "Well." I've just decided that I can uh, I can worship God just fine by myself. And uh, here in South Africa, I think there's a lot of people that's decided that. For whatever reasons, they've been hurt, they've been offended, they feel like the church was accomplishing what it should be. They, they just decided to do their own thing, um, have, have their own Bible study, or they can go go out into on the mountain and worship God just fine, or they can go to the beach and see God there and His creation and just worship God. Well, Moody didn't say anything, but as they sat there, there was a nice hot bed of coals there in the fireplace, and uh, and Moody took the tongs and took one of those coals, the red-hot coals, and moved it away from the others and kind of set it over, over by itself. And uh, it wasn't long till it began to... Uh, began to lose its glow and cool down until it was just kind of grayish black. And as they sat there and watched it, the man says, I see your point. And uh, we need each other, don't we? And the Lord has planned it that way. And by the Spirit of God, His power at work, we are one body. And His presence assures us of the one hope that we have in the Lord. And so let us be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for what you've planned for us. Thank you for your wisdom and and giving us each other here on earth as a a body of believers that uh, can encourage one another, admonish one another, and and help one another as we struggle many times and as we become discouraged many times. And so, Father, I pray that uh, we might be accountable to each other and committed to each other in the body so that uh, we are not, we don't sense that we're alone, but that we are together 
um, headed home and that we're together serving you and that we're together uh, committed to honoring your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our common hope in Christ alone is the primary basis of our Christian unity. Let's stand together and confess these truths. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our holy confidence that our souls to Him belong? Who holds our days within His hands? What comes apart from His command? And what will keep us to God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above the stormy trials, who sends the waves that bring us nigh, Unto the shore, the rock of Christ. Oh, sing alleluia, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing alleluia, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death. Unto the grave, what will we sing? Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, where we will rise to meet the Lord. And sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in Christ is ours forevermore. Oh, sing alleluia, our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing alleluia, now and ever we confess Christ our hope in life and death.